from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Have an African-American talk to them, they will relate better and probably open up more and I would know more about the experiences. It was jam-packed and it was two-for-one. Whatever it was you drank, it was exactly a two-for-one uh, drink. It and sounds dangerous in a very delicious way. It was, and it was a blast, too. <laughs> so in this interview, um, the group actually breaks into the hustle and did not miss a step. Did you have to practice to get ready oh, to no, do this you again? Know it, no, 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 that's in me. That's, that is instilled in me like the color of my skin. I'm Sarah Fetsky. As founder of the LGBT History Project, Stephen Lewis Brawley has spent years gathering oral histories. But his new project is something new, a video series that gets LGBTQ St. Louisans talking outside the formality of a sit-down interview and lets them tell their story their way. It's called In Our Voices, and the first episode recently dropped on Vimeo and the LGBT History Project website. It explores the legacy of the Zebra Lounge and the Hitching Post, two prominent LGBTQ spaces in Midtown St. Louis in the 1970s and 1980s. And joining us today with more information is Stephen Lewis Brawley. Steve, welcome back. Great. Glad to, glad to be here. Appreciate it. And we're also joined today by Craig Green. He's the co-host of that first episode of In Our Voices. Craig, welcome. Hello. Thank you. So, Steve, you've said the idea for this series stemmed from the question of how to tell someone else's story. What did you want to do differently from a traditional interview format like what we're doing right here, right now? Sure, yes. You know, over the years, you know, you become sort of trained that this is how you do an oral history. It's more formal and, and structured, and I get that. Um, we have great institutions here in St. Louis, the Missouri History Museum is doing great oral histories with their Gateway to Pride Initiative, the State Historical Society, a lot of their archives that way. But, you know, especially as a white guy, um, trying to reach out to the community and have um, voices, um, different voices heard. So I've been kind of noodling around, how do we do this? So it's kind of a weird idea came. It's kind of like a flash mob idea. What if we gathered people in a common space with common experiences and just filmed them? And so Craig and I have been collaborating for a couple years. Um, um, he he hosted a Zebra Lounge reunion a couple years back and invited me to be part of that. So we became acquaintances. And so we got together during COVID and said, let's do this. And so we just set a date in August and Craig and um, Candy um, um, principal um, decided we're going to do it this date. And they organized a group and um, Tabor um, Film Productions came and for two hours, we just sat back and filmed, and and then Craig and Candy um, led this amazing reunion, and we just got it down to about a half hour of just people reminiscing and telling their story their way. So, you know, Craig can talk about the experience, but it was, I think we're onto something. So basically just get the right people together while a camera rolls and let it flow? Yep, yep. No directing. We didn't ask questions. Um, there was no one. I wasn't behind the camera going, ask this, ask that. It just, it was there. It was there. It was their event. So Craig, when Steve first pitched you on this idea, uh, were you a little skeptical about what you were being asked to do? This is brand new. Oh. Oh, no, I was excited. I was exuberated. Um, 
the thought of being a part of something so great and spectacular and um, off the chain wonderful was like uh, a God's gift to me. I, and I, it was an offer that I would not refuse because it is important that the stories get told and uh, to be part of history. Wow, how can you say no to that? You know, Craig, Craig <laughs> how important was it to you to be able to tell your story yourself versus, say, having somebody like me sitting here just throwing questions at you? Oh, that's that's uh, history. Uh, that is very important. And uh, the Steve and Steve, the way he when he brought it to me, he said just what he just said. I feel like it would be more impo uh, important that the stories are told by the uh, through the people by the by the people. Say, for instance, the African American uh, pe uh, community have an African American talk to them. They will relate better and probably open up more. And I would know more about the experiences that they that we experienced and I would know deeper uh, questions to ask. So, that, and this is how I explain it to a lot of the, get, uh, the guests that we have on the uh, interviews as well. And that makes them feel even more super about uh, Stephen because this was a man that wanted the stories to be told authentically by the people and through the people and not given some words given to a white person and interpreted in his words. And Steve, did you come into this going, okay, Craig Green, he's, he's a great guy, I'm going to start with him, or did you come in going, there's these two bars that are really seminal, let's start with the bars, who would be the best person to lead this? What came first, the guest or the, the topic? I would say the guest in terms of having this idea and then getting to know Craig over the last couple of years and and um, just you know being drawn to his personality and his enthusiasm. So when we met during COVID at Lafayette, I think we were in Lafayette Square mm -hmm. and having Correct. coffee one morning, and I kind of told him about this, and he was like down the street with it. Okay, we could do this, we could do that. So I'm going, oh, okay. So we just said we just set a date and said we're going to do it, and right. we said I think it was in August. It was hot, and we went. And Craig and, and Candy organized the group, and we just met up there. It, it was hot, yes, kind of that day yes, wearing masks. Very hot, yeah. And we were down, and our, the building's gone now where the Zebra Lounge was. It's now a parking garage. And um, we just, they showed up, we filmed, and it was just a blast. So tell us about these two bars. Uh, this is the Zebra Lounge and the Hitching Post. What made them such a big deal to you? Well, they were a place where the LGBT communities, uh, African Americans can go and be a community. We could, everyone, it was a place for us to go. Um, it, it was, it gave us, like I say, that sense of community. Everyone knew each other. There was, there were the older people with the younger people and we just got together. And as, a, and then the Hitchin Post was across the street, which was predominantly a lesbian bar. And, a lot of us knew each other anyway, so it was, gave us a place where we can go back and forth across the street. And like, if you get tired of being with the boys, you can go be with the girls. And if you got tired of being with the girls, you can be with the boys. And at some point, the boys and girls were together. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's perfect. Craig, Craig worked there, so he has a unique perspective because he actually worked at the at the Zebra. So yes. he wasn't just a patron; he worked there. So and yes. was this a bar, uh, sort of a classic bar bar? This was a nightclub. It was a nightclub. We danced. It was um, it was more of a nightclub. Yeah, we it was where we got to party. They had happy hours in the afternoon, and then they would have um, the dancing at night. You know, and a lot of times it would flow over. And one of the uh, more 
I guess the more popular uh, events that they would have was the Saturday afternoon happy hours. It was two for one. And it started at 4 o'clock and it ended at 8 o'clock and it was jam-packed and it was two for one. Whatever it was you drank, it was exactly a two for one uh, drink. It and sounds dangerous in a very delicious way. It was and it was a blast too. <laughs> so we would leave from there and then... We would uh, also go, maybe someone would have card parties or something like that until it's time to go over to Faces. So. And then what was happening at Faces? That was the later night bar? Mm-hmm. Well, we can't talk about it on air. But. Can't talk about that on public radio. Well, I will stand back. <laughs> but, but Craig, you know, it's important, uh, in, in through Craig's um, introducing me to folks, they were a preeminent um, in terms of their DJs here at the, at the Zebra, and they were bringing in music that St. Louis didn't have. Right. So the, the DJs, Glenn Williams and... Dr- uh, Ralph Drake. Ralph Drake. And we they had, were uh, very Dennis. innovative DJs. So they were bringing St. Louis music, St. music to St. Louis that wasn't here yet. Hmm. And I understand line dancing um, ended up being a thing at this oh, club. Yes. Yes, that was um, always, and each week we would come, different groups would come up with a different dance, so it was like you had to, if you didn't know this one, then you were like behind, so you, it was it was just a lot. It was a lot of that going on. Like I say, there was the south side, there was the, uh, not the bus stop, but even the, with the electric hustle, the electric slide, I remember the first time I saw that in, uh, being performed in the straight bar, I was like, oh my God, oh. Do they know what they're doing? <laughs> and, and did they? I imagine they I, might not have. No, 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 no. Because it's still going strong today. So, you know, so I take pride in the LGBT community spreading that dance to everybody. <laughs> so in this interview, um, the group actually breaks into the hustle and did not miss a step. Did you have to practice to get ready oh, to no, do this again? No, 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 no. That's in me. That's, that is instilled in me like the color of my skin. So that <laughs> makes for an amazing interview. I got to say, all my days hosting this radio show, I've never had people break into a line dance. Is this exactly what you were hoping for by doing this it was. It was like a dream the first time that. It's like this was exa- more than I could have envisioned, and it just hit the mark. And so I think now, of course, we've set the bar high. Um, but, you know, Craig's been doing some amazing interviews that we'll be making into future episodes. So he's well on the way of new episodes. Um, last night we filmed the closing of J.J.'s Bar, and people told stories. And, um, and for our listeners who don't know about J.J.'s Bar, what made that such a significant spot? Well, I mean, there's the, the LGBT bars in St. Louis are dwindling. We're down to um, a handful now. We used to have, you know, lots. And so J.J.'s, what, it was the only large dance floor left in St. Louis in the in the LGBTQIA bar community, but it was a, one of the nation's premier leather bear bars, nationally known, internationally known, and so um, it, it was part of the community for 21 years, and so it was a sad night, but we wanted to, again, let people tell stories, so we just let the camera roll, people told their stories. In a couple of weeks, Trinity Church is going to be having their dedication for the National Historic Registry for being an LGBTQI history site, so we'll be there again, just letting the camera roll, letting people tell stories, so, you know, it's just like, we're the background and our, our job is to facilitate getting it out um, once we, once it's produced but Craig's already uh, hit the ground running with a bunch of future episodes. 
We're talking today to Stephen Lewis Brawley. He's the founder of the LGBT History Project. Uh, we're also joined by Craig Green, who's the co-host of the first episode of Steve's new project, which is called In Our Voices. You can find that on the LGBT History Project website. Uh, we also have a link on our website to that and the Vimeo version if you're interested in checking this out. And we're talking about the Zebra Lounge and, and just the loss of so many of these gay and lesbian bars throughout the city in general. What happened, Craig, to the Zebra Lounge? Well, the zebra had uh, caught on fire. And, and and roughly when was this? I think this was like in the late 80s or probably the early 90s. I believe it was probably like 92 or something like that. Um, and had it still been going strong up to the point where this fire was, broke out? It was. It was going very, it was, yes, it was strong. That had to have been heartbreaking. I mean, this was your, your community, your your home. It, it was, and uh, it really kind of... Um, it was it was a very big it created a void but by that time you know as one closes another will open up because the happy hour i think it was at nights we started going to nights but then uh the spirits of of st louis social club they opened up a bar um and then which eventually became um the club 747 then also the alley had opened up during that time so Sunrise, sunset. Yes, yeah, exactly. As one door closes, two are open. But Steve, I wonder about that today. We we see the closing of so many of these spaces, and it seems now that the rest of the world is a bit more open to LGBTQ people, and and maybe with also the rise of so many people being on apps, there's there's not as much of a need for those spaces. But it feels like a true loss for the community. Yes, last night, um, I mean, they were just packed. People coming to say goodbye, and I heard that all night. Where will we go? Times have changed. You know, younger generation not understanding the need for people to come together to bond and have a uh, brotherhood, sisterhood with one another. That there, it's a big generation gap, and so it's a sad one. It's one of this just one of those sad instances we're living through history. And the other big cities, San Francisco, all everyone's seeing a decline in bars. It's not just Ge- St. Louis. You know, gentrification comes in, and you know they can't afford the rent, and then it just it's just a different world. So we're just we're we're, we're witnessing and documenting the history of this. It seems like it's just a more closed world without those spaces. You have to be able to connect with somebody to find your group without necessarily having that common gathering ground. Was this something that that was important to you as you were uh, young and and coming up to be able to just randomly meet people, not have to already have made arrangements? Very much so. Uh, it, it, It was, like I was saying earlier, it gave me a place to go where I could meet people that was like me. Um... And actually, I was able to find my mentors there, uh, whereas now there's a big divide in a lot of the, the age, the older with the uh, younger, because we don't have a place where we can go and, and uh, I guess, a central place where everybody's gathered and we can see each other. And, you, and whereas a younger person can maybe see an older person or, and vice versa and say, hey, come go with me. But also, I think uh, one of the things that's happening with the gay boys is that uh, the LGBT community is not so underground anymore. It's, it's not so vilified. And people are opening up. So really there's not much of a, a bar that is a gay bar or a black gay bar or a whatever. It's kind of sort of inclusive. You kind of go in where you fit in. So that's, that seems like maybe the silver lining here. Or that's, that's one of the things we can look at as progress is moving the right way. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I started the project because I would like to, to talk to elders and tell, hear those stories when I was younger and then realize that these stories were being captured. So I just hope that as we move forward, there are ways for um, to, that, as Craig mentioned, this generation gap, for us to find ways for the younger community. And so maybe that's through community programming and other ways that, you know, we can do that outside of a bar. So I'm encouraged that we can find a way to do, fill that gap outside of a bar, but it's going to take some effort. And so, Stephen, our final few moments here, I know you have big plans for this series. There's a lot you're working on. Any sense of when you'll be bringing on episode two? Episode two is being edited now. Um, Craig, um, you want to tell, tell us about that? We have just a that? few moments Okay, here. just yes. real fast. So this is a gentleman. His name is Rudy Nickens. He had a great deal to do with uh, bringing in the, uh, what is it, the Ryan White Foundation. Uh, and he owned this, um, the, what was it? The Sunshine Inn Sunshine Restaurant. Sunshine Inn Restaurant, yes. And how they did a lot of, um, they lent their space out to a lot of the organizations, like even Gay Pride, before they became the Gay, gay Pride organization that it is today. So it's, that's what's coming up right now. And it's very interesting because uh, the project evolves because we'll have a lot of different uh, episodes coming in telling stories of people that had a lot of contributions to St. Louis. Well, this sounds huge. So we want to encourage people to check out stlouislgbthistory.com. Uh, there is a link on our website, a link to that Vimeo. Craig Green, thank you so much for joining My us today. Pleasure. And also Stephen Lewis Brawley, uh, founder of the LGBT History Project. Thank you so much. Thank you. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.